I think we can all agree that learning is more fun when you do it with friends, right? So if one of your summer goals is to learn more about the science of reading and how to incorporate it into your classroom, then let me invite you to join our free summer book study. During the month of June, we are gonna be hosting a free book study for teachers just like you, where we are gonna work our way through the book, Shifting the Balance, Six Ways to Bring the Science of Reading into Your Upper Elementary Classroom. And we'd love to have you join us. We're gonna read one chapter a week and inside our book study Facebook group, you're gonna get to participate in things like our weekly Facebook Live, discussion posts, you're gonna get some really awesome freebies and the chance to win some stellar prizes. All of this is going to help you align your instruction with the science of reading next year. It's gonna be fun. And even if you don't think you'll have time to read every single chapter, still consider joining. You're gonna get a lot out of the group even if you don't have time to read the entire text. So I hope to see you this summer where we can all learn alongside each other. You can sign up at stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash bookstudy. And I'll see you inside our group. You're listening to episode number 86 of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of the Stellar Teacher Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Marie. And I am seriously so excited for today's episode. Now, if you are one of my regular listeners, you know that I often start my episodes by saying how excited I am for that episode. But today really might be one of my favorite episodes. And that's because I get to introduce you to my good friend, Michelle, from The Colorful Classroom. And in our conversation, we are digging into all things related to phonological awareness and what that looks like in upper elementary. Michelle is a literacy coach, and she truly is an expert in all things reading. She really understands the science of reading research and how to practically apply it to all grade levels to help students grow in reading. If you are not following her on Instagram, you need to go give her a follow after this episode because you will learn something new with every single post she puts out there. Now, I know so many upper elementary teachers feel like they don't have the experience or tools or strategies to support students who need help with learning how to read. And I'm talking about the decoding and word recognition side of reading. And if you listened to my episode last week, you know just how important word recognition is when it comes to helping our students become skilled readers and being able to comprehend and understand what they read. And word recognition starts with a strong foundation in phonological awareness, which just happens to be an area of expertise for Michelle. So in this interview, Michelle is going to share some really helpful knowledge that is going to help you understand the role that phonological and phonemic awareness play in your reading instruction, as well as share some really practical suggestions and strategies for implementation in your classroom. And you guys, she has also put together some really amazing freebies to share with you to help you get started with all of the ideas that she shares. So after you listen to this episode, be sure to go check out the show notes and download some of those great freebies that she has for you. If you happen to miss my episode last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode 85 before you listen to this interview with Michelle. In last week's episode, I give an overview of what the science of reading is, as well as provide some really helpful background knowledge that I think will be helpful for you to have before listening to today's episode. But whenever you're ready to listen to it, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Michelle. Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. 
I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no-fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. So Michelle and I have become Instagram friends and we are like-minded in so many ways. And so I know that my audience is in for a real treat with our conversation today. But in case they don't know who you are, can you go ahead and give a brief introduction of who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So I am equally excited to be here (laughs) chatting with you today and sharing some hopefully super helpful content with your listeners. But just a big hello. My name is Michelle from Michelle in the Colorful Classroom, and I've been in education for 13 years now. And I'm currently an elementary literacy coach. So as an instructional coach, I work with teachers from those who are brand new straight out of college to the super seasoned ones and then everyone in between. And my role is really to help them strengthen their instruction in both reading and writing. So while coaching is amazing, a real passion of mine is actually teaching reading in small groups. So majority of my educational career has actually been spent teaching reading intervention and small group, basically the tier two support of an RTI model. And I'd say that second grade is my sweet spot and will always be near and dear to my heart. But I've worked with students all the way from kindergarten to fourth grade providing intervention. I love it. And again, Michelle and I were both literacy coaches. We both passed second grade. So many commonalities here. We'll obviously link to everything, but if you are on Instagram, you need to go follow Michelle and hit her up for all of her small group intervention, instructional advice, because she has so many great things to share. But I am curious because I remember when I transitioned out of the classroom and moved into like that literacy coaching instructional support role, I all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, not that I was like, I've been doing it all wrong, but I learned so much more. I feel like once I was supporting teachers and in the classroom and observing things, and doing research on behalf of teachers and trying to help them troubleshoot, I felt like that is when I just sort of like grew a ton in my like instructional knowledge. So can you give us kind of just like a little bit of a summary of like, what have you learned about teaching, reading and writing for that matter, working as a literacy coach or in this specific role? Sure. So uh, this is such a great question and a loaded (laughs) one. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. (laughs) I've learned so, so much, but there are a couple of glaring things that pop out at me. And one of the things you just mentioned is like kind of learning along the way. So I think one of the big life lessons is that your teacher knowledge really trumps all. So you can have the best program in the world or the worst program in the world and have the same exact student outcomes. And, you know, a program can be research-based, it can align with a certain philosophy, but it can still miss the mark in meeting students' needs. And I think to myself, like, what's the variable here? And really, it's a skilled and responsive teacher executing it. And that's what's making the difference. So while my goal is to support teachers with their literacy instruction, especially with this small group and intervention, my hope is really to empower teachers by building their capacity and their teacher knowledge to meet the needs of the diverse learners in their classrooms. I love that. And I, I, this is like one of the things that I talk about and I I sort of like 
I think about kind of like my core beliefs as a literacy person. And like one of the things that I think is so important is that like we are constantly teaching the students versus teaching the program, teaching the standards, teaching the novel, teaching whatever it is. And that requires teachers to have that knowledge and like their their knowledge, their familiarity with their students and the program and how to implement it. I love that you're just like that trumps all. Absolutely. It's like you can have the best of programs, but if you don't know how to like implement that to meet your students' needs, it it doesn't matter how great it is on paper. I think that's such an important thing and just definitely connect with that for sure. And then another thing that really is striking is that all students can learn. You know, having worked with the students who are quote unquote performing below benchmark for majority of my career, I've seen students make such tremendous strides. And it's not that I have some magical powers, but you know, part of it is believing that your students can and having that growth mindset for your students. So another huge pet peeve of mine is when teachers or anyone calls students low. But I understand it can be frustrating to use all the tools in your toolbox and not see the fruits of your labor. So, you know, kids aren't low, kids aren't levels. That's not part of their identity. And, you know, could you imagine administrators labeling (laughs) teachers that way? You know, we would feel horrible. So kids are kids and it's our job to equip them with the experiences and the strategies they need to help things click. I love it. And today we're going to talk a little bit about like specifically the role that phonemic and phonological awareness play in reading, especially kind of like the role that they could play in upper elementary if you are trying to maybe close some of those reading gaps that you see in your students. And this is one of the reasons why I love following Michelle on Instagram. I feel like I have learned so much from her account from just, I don't know, just so many of like the rules, the (laughs) strategies, things you can do in small group. Like the other day, she posted something about how the magic E has nine jobs. And I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't know that. I mean, that I've been in education for a long time, but I think in upper elementary, oftentimes we forget, or we don't often spend as much time thinking about what are the tools that students need if they are actually still learning how to read. And Michelle has a lot of knowledge in that area. So I am super excited to sort of like take our conversation in that direction. So before we get into like to the strategies, give a little bit of just a basic definition of what is phonemic awareness, what is phonological awareness, and why are they important in upper elementary? Sure. So it's so funny because just like when we teach our students, consider your audience when they're writing a piece, <laughs> I'm going to keep that in mind for your audience. So I know you have some awesome resources on Greek and Latin roots and So let's start out with like a little word study. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I'm excited. (laughs) So, you know, for phonological awareness, we have that Greek root phone, which means voice or sound. And of course, that logos is the study of something. So phonological awareness is the study of sound patterns in our language. It's auditory. And sometimes people will say phonological awareness can be done in the dark because you don't have to see anything. It's all based on what you hear. So sometimes people often call phonological awareness an umbrella term because it's all-encompassing, incorporating different sound properties from syllables to rhyming, and then even individual sounds. So for example, if I were to say, and of course, this is going to be true, Sarah is a beautiful, bright light. You're too kind. (laughs) Your phonological awareness is what enables you to determine that this sentence has six words. And then when it comes to rhyming, it allows you to quickly identify that bright and light rhyme while bright and beautiful do not rhyme. 
And then when we consider alliteration, it helps you recognize that beautiful and bright both start with the sound b. And then there's syllable awareness. So this helps you determine that the syllables Sarah together make the word Sarah. And then, of course, we have onset and rhyme. So understanding that spoken word parts, ver and it together make the word bright. So when we can identify and manipulate speech at the word and then syllable and onset and rhyme level, these are all marks of strong phonological awareness. Now, phonemic awareness is under the umbrella of phonological awareness. So back to our word study. (laughs) The Greek root phonema means a sound made, so a singular sound. So rather than focusing on sound patterns or large units of sound, we're honing in on phonemes or the smallest units of sound in our language. So there is this idea that reading actually starts with your ears And you can improve a student's ability to read unfamiliar words without even showing them a single letter in print. So the sounds that we hear and manipulate within words are what allow us to ultimately pull the print off the page with our eyes when we're decoding. So back to our little mentor sentence. Sarah is a beautiful bright light. Your phonemic awareness helps you isolate sounds, blend, segment, and manipulate sounds. So if you're upper elementary teacher and you're like, I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> I was going to say so much in your example. I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I used to teach first grade. So like all of this stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember this, yeah. but I forget like the responsibility that lower elementary teachers have in like teaching all of this stuff to students in a way that makes sense for kids. Totally. So if we're going to isolate sounds, that's like identifying a sound in a word. So, you know, we could isolate a beginning, a final, a medial vowel sound, but the beginning sound in Sarah is right. And then when it comes to segmenting, that's when we break words into sounds. So the word light, we can break it into l-i-t. It has three sounds, whereas bright is four sounds, b-r-i-t. Now, when it comes to blending, that's when we hear the individual sounds and smush them together to know automatically the words. So b or it is bright. So we already know these skills are important because you need to segment sounds in order to spell and you need to blend sounds in order to read. But then we have our advanced levels of phonemic awareness, which is manipulation. And this is more complex. So we can start with deleting sounds. So say the word bright and what's bright without the b? Right. <laughs> right. Oh. Did I get that right? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> now, if we're adding sounds, say the word light, what if we add to the beginning? What's the new word? Slight. Right. Yeah. I was like, that's tricky. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, there is substitution. So let's start with the word bright. What if we change the t to n? Brine. Brine. And so all of these skills can be done for initial sounds, final sounds, and even vowel sounds. So before when we substituted the final sound, the t for n, now let's try it for the beginning sound. So if we have brine, let's change the brr to twa. And now our new word is twine. Twine. So phonemic awareness also differs from phonics because, again, we're focusing on the sounds, reading with our ears, and it deals with our spoken language and its auditory, whereas phonics focuses on the letters and what those sounds are represented by certain letter combinations 
that deals with written language and print and it's visual and auditory. So does that make sense? Absolutely. I love all of this. And I mean, obviously it's like these things are important enough for elementary. If our students don't have like the foundation of this stuff, it's going to have an impact on how they read. So now that we know the what, uh, we could talk a little bit about why it's important, especially in upper elementary. So we know that these terms can feel foreign in upper elementary in the first place. So when we use these terms like phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, most teachers are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's just not in their wheelhouse. So I always like to say that in the primary grades, students learn to read and the upper elementary students read to learn. So unless an upper elementary teacher has previous experience in the primary levels, this is just not something that they've needed to know about. So nobody needs to feel bad for, for not for maybe not knowing some of these terms that you just absolutely about. not. <laughs> but it's still probably important to have some idea and background knowledge of what this is and how it helps students. Totally. So even when we look at the common core standards or whatever your state standards are, we have these reading foundational skills and phonological awareness is part of these foundational skills in kindergarten and first grade, along with phonics and word recognition and fluency. But by second grade, phonological awareness disappears and phonics is still pretty hefty with learning new concepts. But by the time you get to third and fourth and fifth grade, your foundational skills are just basically your word recognition component and fluency and breaking up multisyllabic words, prefixes, suffixes, Greek and Latin roots. It's assuming that they've mastered it already. So I think across the board, many school districts this year have been feeling a pandemic loss. And a third or fourth grade teacher might have students who are still needing these foundational skills because they weren't mastered in first or second grade. I mean, I did not teach the pandemic and have obviously the utmost respect for the teachers that did. But I, I mean, I remember when I taught fourth grade pre-pandemic and I still had students coming to me at least every single year. I had one or two students that struggled to decode, struggled with the short vowel sounds, struggled with rhyme. I mean, they just were beginning readers. And I feel like there's very little support for how to teach beginning readers in the upper elementary, because like you said, it's assumed that kids come to you with the ability to read. So therefore they can learn content, not learning how to read. So I can only imagine that like that gap is even bigger now with the pandemic learning. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like you said, you know, you've had students who struggled in the past and like one in five kids have dyslexia. And it's not to say that every reader who struggles is dyslexic, but there are certain instructional practices that we can implement to help these students who need it. And again, it all goes back to building this teacher knowledge and capacity. So I just want to share like some research with you. Absolutely. The research actually says that a lack of phonemic awareness is the most powerful determinant of the likelihood of failure to read. So while it's possible for a fourth grade student to have poor phonemic awareness, if that and phonics is not solid, there's going to be a breakdown at some point and all of the other components of reading will suffer. So, you know, I was a product of whole language where, you know, you just like memorized words and that was that, but you could only memorize this. Your brain can only hold a certain amount of memorized words. So you know, students can memorize words up until like a third or fourth grade reading level before they start to tap out and then their progress gets stifled. 
And I've been part of my district's intervention and referral services committee for many years. And I feel like when upper elementary students are referred, it always seems like they can't get past those early chapter books. And they've used these compensation strategies to get them to a certain point. And now their lack of phonemic awareness and phonics knowledge is what's holding them back from tackling those multisyllabic words with less picture support. They don't know how to break them up. Right. They don't have the tools to do so. And golly, that that sort of statistic alone, I'm like, <laughs> okay, we we probably need to be doing more phonemic and phonological awareness in upper elementary. Plus I'm kind of like, it was fun. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Those like little activities you were doing earlier. I was like, oh, this is fun. It's like a puzzle. Like a little game. What are some things that teachers can do? Or like, well, how, how can you figure out? Because, you know, and this is one of the things I've talked about before is that it's like, if a student struggles in comprehension, it might not be a lack of comprehension knowledge or strategies. It could be a slew of other issues that is impacting their comprehension. So how can teachers easily identify or figure out if phonemic awareness and phonological awareness is like the hurdle that is preventing their students from growing as readers, or if that's like the sort of like missing link that their students need support in? Sure. So it's much more evident in the upper grades, actually, when you have older students who aren't focusing on the internal details of their words. So it could come across in their reading and their spelling or even their speaking. So for example, sometimes if you've ever had a student who thinks specific and pacific <laughs> are the same words, it could be a deficit in phonemic awareness. So some other signs, it might be just plain and simple. The student has difficulty with blending when they're reading or segmenting when they're spelling, or like you said before, rhyming or breaking words into syllables. It could be that a student is confusing similar words. And sometimes it comes out in reading fluency or poor reading fluency because all the cognitive load is spent on decoding and the decoding is not automatic. But surprisingly, a student can also be reading grade level text because they were word memorizers, but then you throw them a nonsense word with a, you know, three sound CVC word that's just a silly word and they can't read it because they don't have the decoding skills. So if any of that resonates, the next step is to pinpoint what the deficit is. So there's different diagnostic assessments to assess phonological awareness or phonemic awareness one-on-one. David Kilpatrick, big name out there, actually has this amazing screener for free. It's called the PAST, the Phonological Awareness Screening Test. We will link to that. If it's for free, we will definitely link to that. (laughs) Absolutely. We love free things. So not every child is going to need this, but if you have a concern or red flag about someone, it can give you some helpful information for some more targeted instruction. And he also has the book equipped for reading success, which then can help you develop some kind of action plan. But really, if we have the targeted skill, we can make a game plan ourselves to figure out how we can address this in small group or one-on-one. So is this like, and just I'm asking your professional opinion, right? So like phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, especially some of those activities that you were doing at the beginning of the podcast with those word studies, Is that like something that teachers should just reserve for small group with their students who are struggling? Or is that beneficial to do whole group with every student just to like solidify and build up their foundation of phonemic and phonological awareness? So typically in the primary grades, if a classroom teacher is doing phonemic awareness, phonological awareness, I think it's best to do a whole class because then they're practicing every single skill every single day. And the kids are having that continued practice exposure. 
But once you get to upper elementary, not every kid's going to need it. So, you know, you want to make the most bang for your buck with the minutes that you have. (laughs) (laughs) I know we're always crunched for time. (laughs) (laughs) So if we can pinpoint the exact needs, I think it's better to take into that small group setting with the students who need it. And we could talk about like different arrangements that would work best. But I do think rather than working on all of those skills every single day in upper elementary, it's best to hone in on the one skill that they're struggling with, wait till they master it and see like, do they need some more support there? Good. That's helpful to know, I think. Okay. So once a student, like if a teacher has identified a student and they have like their small group and they're like, okay, these students need help with fill in the blank with the skill. What are things that they could do? Like, how do we go about actually then like filling in the gaps? Yeah. So the beautiful thing is phonemic awareness is nothing fancy. There's no bells or whistles and you don't even need any materials. So it's easy to plan for. (laughs) Super easy. So you can throw in some manipulatives because they're always fun and they can be a good scaffold. And when I say manipulatives, it could be stuff you already have in your classroom, like cubes or counters, chips, felt squares, like simple little things. So one way I would encourage teachers to get started with phonemic awareness is to incorporate phonemic awareness warm-ups before a small group session. So just like with sports, the only way to get better at something is to keep practicing. So if I want to get good at free throws, you know, reading a book about basketball or watching a basketball game isn't going to move the needle as much as getting my hands on the ball. So the same goes for phonemic awareness. So the more we can offer quick little drills, the better the students will get. So all you need really is a list of words and a target skill. So for example, maybe I have a student who's struggling blending words with four sounds. And I also noticed that when this student is spelling, they're omitting the second sound of a blend of a consonant blend. So maybe my target words are going to be words with blends. And we could just do a little warm up where I might say, I'm going to say the sounds and you're going to blend the sounds into a word. And, you know, spend a couple minutes doing that. Boom, go into your small group to do whatever you were doing. And that's quick. I mean, that takes no time at all to do. Absolutely. And, you know, these aren't your just average drills. You know, we're not drilling math facts here. Kids aren't just memorizing things. It's really a drill to practice a concept and practice a skill because you're going to be using different words each time that you do it. Just a couple of questions again, thinking about the teacher who might be new to this is like four words, five words, like enough. Like, is that, I mean, this is not something that we want to be doing for like 10, 15 minutes of our small group lesson, right? Like just a few examples every time you sit down to, to practice. Yeah, totally. I love that. And I, I mean, I'm just going to remind my teachers because if this is new for teachers, I know like when we're learning something new that it can feel overwhelming and like, I've never done this before. It's uncomfortable, but the same analogy of like, if we want to be good at it, we have to practice it. I think the same is true for teachers. You know, if this is like, okay, I know I have students in my class that struggle with reading and I can see how this would be beneficial. It is okay. If the first couple of times you do a phonemic awareness drill or warm up, if it doesn't go well, if your students don't get it, if you don't pick the right words or the right target, the more you practice incorporating this in your small group, the better you're going to get. So that analogy works for teachers as well. <laughs> Perfect. And I actually want to offer to your listeners, I'm going to send them a little freebie. 
Oh, awesome. Where I'm going to already have some word lists set up with different focus skills to get started. If you're like, I have no idea how to get started or where to start. That is awesome. They will love it. And then another way to infuse phonemic awareness into your instruction is to do what we call word chains. So again, this can also be done as a warm up, but it literally can be a quick small group, few minute small group and like boom, off you go to some independent reading. But basically, you would have a starting word and then manipulate it in different ways to make a new word. Oh, I love that. Again, if you have a student, um, you know, this is struggling with consonant digraphs. That's like two letters that make one sound. The first word might be chip. So the student would have to repeat the word chip to make sure they heard you correctly. And now we're going to say change the it to ah. What's the new word? Chop. Change the ch to sh. What's the new word? Shop. I love those. I'm like, we could do this all day. (laughs) Exactly. Your phonemic awareness is very strong. (laughs) (laughs) I had an awesome teacher growing up. (laughs) See, we're having too much fun here. (laughs) So now we have shop. Change the p to t. And we have shot. Perfect. So would that be something that you do with like the small group before sending them back? Or is that like something you do with like the whole class as you're like in the middle of a transition? I mean, honestly, you could do it either way. While not everyone in upper elementary is going to need phonemic awareness, it's not going to hurt anyone. Right. And it will only strengthen their skills. Absolutely. And then another way to do that is to use manipulatives like chips or blocks where students can push up a block for each sound that they're hearing. So in this case, the student would represent that word chip with three blocks, even though it's four letters because the CH makes that one sound. And then you tell the students, change a sound to make it chop. And they'd have to tap on that middle block and say the sound, ah. So they're like identifying it's in the middle, it's in the beginning, it's at the end. And you could keep this purely oral, or then you could bring in letter representations and tie it in with a phonics component if you wanted to. This is, I think, one of the things that gets tricky with like teaching reading is that everything is so like interconnected. You know, and especially with the English language, it's like there's so many different spellings for like the same long vowel sound, or even like the CH can make multiple different sounds. So it's like, what comes first, right? Like, how do you balance? Like, do students need to understand like the, you know, the vowel patterns, or do they need to have the strong phonemic awareness, or do you do both at the same time? Like, you know, if a student is like, if they struggle with reading, is it because of the, phonemic phonological awareness, or is it because they don't know like that OE has the long vowel sound, you know? So it's like, how do you figure out like where to place your targets? Or is it just throwing spaghetti against the wall and hope something sticks? (laughs) Well, I think with phonemic awareness, you want to make sure that they can manipulate that orally. So if they're not able to do it orally, they're not going to be able to do it in print. So, you know, it is like the, what comes first, the chicken or the egg, (laughs) But if they can do it orally and they're not doing it in print, then that becomes like a matter of, you know, different spelling generalizations. And we have these different letter combos that can make multiple sounds. So then it does come to the rules. And, you know, not every kid is going to have to have every single phonics rule in the history of the world explicitly (laughs) taught to them. There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot. Like the word have, for example, you know, it has the silent magic E, but you know, the more I read books and I see have, 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 I'm noticing that, oh, the words in English language don't end in V. And, you know, there just so happens to be an E at the end. And this is not because anyone taught me that. It's just like something I- You figure it out. Yeah, your brain picks up on that. 
Right. So not everything needs to be explicitly taught. It's just if students struggle with it, we want to make sure that they know the rules so that way they can apply it. Absolutely. And then for students who are struggling, it would be helpful to have a scope and sequence in mind to know, like, I want to hit on short vowel, then I want to do digraphs and blends and do silent magic key and R controlled vowels, that kind of thing. And there is a million scope and sequences out there. That's another thing I'm going to offer to your Yay. listeners. <laughs> it's going to be like Christmas over here. It's like everybody gets some gifts. <laughs> like Oprah. Absolutely. You get a scope and sequence and you get a scope you and sequence. <laughs> But it is a helpful starting point to have a progression to work towards. And again, you know, spelling and reading go hand in hand. So sometimes students can read the words, but they haven't truly mastered that phonics concept unless they're spelling it correctly also. So we're looking kind of like for the whole package. We want them to be able to manipulate the sounds, read the words and spell it correctly. And then that's like the indication that they've got it. Totally. (laughs) Okay. So one question that I have is the idea of how long might a teacher have to practice these skills with their students before they see like actual evidence or growth in their reading? You know, I think oftentimes we have this unhealthy expectation in education, not teacher's fault, but like, you know, we expect because we've taught something once that our students have mastered it. And obviously everybody learns at a different rate, but is there any sort of like generalization? Like if we're working on phonemic awareness or even like a specific phonics skill, like How long before we can expect to see an improvement in students' reading as a result of these interventions? I think it really depends on how consistent you are with your instruction too. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, I'd rather have small bursts of instruction more frequent than, you know, a one-hit wonder kind of small group that happens every, you know, once a week or once every two weeks. So, you know, it depends on the time that you're investing into it. So, when students do have that daily practice or consistent practice, you are going to see more of those strides along the way. Good reminder for teachers to do this regularly if we really want to see the growth with our students. Okay. What advice do you have for teachers who, whether they're feeling like strapped for time and they don't have time to throw something else into their instruction, or even if they're feeling like a lack of confidence, like this is new for me. I haven't done this with my students and I want to do it, but I don't feel like I have the time, nor do I feel like I have the tools. Like, What is some advice you have for teachers who are wanting to get started, but maybe not exactly sure? So starting with the confidence piece, I think a helpful tip is actually to have like a little vertical articulation with your primary grade teachers in your school. You know, how do your first grade, second grade teachers address these kinds of needs with their students? And maybe you can pick their brains for some ideas. But I do think that finding like-minded community that, you know, sharing these kinds of tips and tricks and ideas is a helpful starting point. And then when it comes to time and minutes, you know, obviously just take it from math and science. (laughs) (laughs) Those don't matter if you can't read anyway. (laughs) But in all seriousness, you know, I know it can be frustrating when you are already feeling strapped for time to teach your curriculum, to teach the standards but I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a moment. So like I said before, I'm a huge proponent of responsive teaching and giving students what they need. And assuring that our students are literate is also a social justice issue. So I'm going to share another quote with you. It takes four times as long to remediate a student's poor reading skills in fourth grade than it does in kindergarten or early first grade. 
which is just crazy. It is crazy. So if we're not caught up to speed in the primary grades, the gap is just going to continue to widen. Sometimes this is going to show up as a reluctant reader, a student who's not going to enjoy school. And, you know, we don't want that for our students. So yes, we have these grade level standards. But what happens when students haven't met the standards from the year prior or years prior? So when we look back at those reading foundational skills and the phonological awareness standards, that readiness, it's assuming it's mastered by second grade already. The phonics is assuming it's been mastered by third grade already. And if it hasn't been, then, you know, we just can't skip over it. In a perfect world, you know, you would have your own word study block with enough time to pull a small group for a short period. But if that's not on your schedule, my biggest piece of advice is just to fit it in wherever you can. So if that means replacing a comprehension-based strategy group during your literacy block to do a little bit more phonemic awareness and phonics practice, so be it. So like I said before, you know, phonemic awareness is not fancy. It doesn't require a lot of time. And I'd rather see teachers do like a two to three minute warm up with students every single day for daily practice rather than having these lengthy small groups. And like you mentioned before, it is fun for everyone. So, you know, it can be tinkered in whole class and you could incorporate these little wordplay activities during transition times. What a great way to get your kids like to come to the carpet or to line up. Like <laughs> Exactly. They're coming in in the morning. They're coming to the rug. They're getting, they're going to lunch. And whenever you have a spare little minute, you could throw in some PA. Like I'm going to say a word like a robot. And if you're on the silly side, use a monotone voice, throw up those <laughs> hands, see if the students can put the words, blend the words together again. Or you could even do little riddles that infuse phonological awareness with vocabulary. So like I'm thinking of a word that rhymes with stencil and it's in your desk and (laughs) the kids don't even know they're doing PA. (laughs) Making it fun. And then you could also incorporate it into your instructional times aside from your mini lesson. So whether it's word study or your instructional read aloud, you can pull out some academic vocabulary that you already intended to touch upon for one of your stopping points, but you can add a spin for phonological awareness. So perhaps it's a vocabulary word you're highlighting like sensational, and then you can have the students attempt to segment it into syllables before, you know, you go on your little spiel. And while these can be fun as a whole class infusion, We know for the students who really need it, need it, need it, we don't just want to like sprinkle it in. We want to be more intentional about it. So again, I'd recommend that small group warm up with the explicit practice on that pinpointed skill or having you're really targeting that phonemic awareness phonics small group during your actual reading block. Sometimes, you know, students are going to need to take a break from authentic literature And they're going to need more targeted practice with decodable texts and applying their phonics skill with a text that they would be able to read in their zone of proximal development. So just like we would do a strategy group, you know, sometimes to change it up and do a phonics small group during your reading block. And there are different lesson plan outlines out there. Another thing I'll share with your listeners But basically, you know, you want to start out with some kind of auditory drill, move into teaching a concept and having them practice at the word level, then sentence level, controlled reading level, and then perhaps even alternating days with some spelling work to assure that mastery. I love it. And again, I mean, I think it goes back to the whole like 
you know, we're not saying that every kid needs this or this needs to be done whole group, but if we truly are trying to give our students exactly what they need, we need to be aware that for some students, we might have to go back to what was missed in kindergarten or first grade or second grade or third grade, which means upper elementary teachers, you have a very hard job to do, but such an important job to do because you you know, I mean, I think like while elementary is very advanced and we do expect students to be able to read, to learn, like they're still in elementary. And if you are a third, fourth or fifth grade teacher that has a struggling student, you have the time and the power and kind of the ability to try to close that gap as much as you can. And there are wonderful resources out there like Michelle. So if you know that you have a student that struggles, you know, with phonemic awareness, phonological awareness of kind of what we talked about in this episode is really resonating with you and you are you know, looking forward to implementing some of these things next year in your classroom, definitely follow Michelle. Michelle, why don't you tell my audience where they can follow you on the internet and connect with you? Sure. So you can find me on Instagram at Michelle underscore the colorful classroom or my website, Michelle in the colorful classroom.com. And of course my TPT store, Michelle in the colorful classroom. I'd love to hear from you. Definitely don't be a stranger. Yeah. And we will link to all of those in the show notes, along with all these wonderful freebies that you are willing to share with my audience. And golly, thank you so much. This, I feel like is just so much really helpful information and so important for upper elementary teachers to know and have just kind of like this background knowledge and these really easy to implement strategies. I mean, they really don't take a lot of time. I think it's just a matter of knowing the power that the phonemic awareness and phonological awareness routines can have on their instruction. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your knowledge with my audience. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week. 